So people of God in Christ, uh, this morning we continue our study and, and proclamation of Romans, and we come to Romans 13. Uh, Romans 13, uh, the first part of it at least, uh, can probably be considered, I would consider it, the main passage of Scripture to teach us uh, how to live the Christian life in relationship to the world, in relationship to the government. And here, I mean the civil government, because that's an important specificity uh, and, and distinction to make. As, as much as the word authority, I'm wondering, what, what, what do you hear when you hear the word authority? What, what, uh, uh, what wells up in your heart, in your spirit, as you hear uh, the word authority, uh, the word authority and the idea of submission to authority is, is, is frowned upon uh, in our culture, and it's greatly resisted in our day and culture, even as there is, of course, authority all around us. Sometimes, probably uh, rarely, we are the one in authority over another, uh, that is certainly true of parents, uh, and parents only ruin their own lives and, and as well as their children's if they don't stand in authority and act in authority and require submission uh, of their children under the backsided pain of punishment. Um, and, and, and as they act in authority and require submission... Um, uh, over their uh, their children, uh, it, it is indeed God's will and 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 a blessing uh, to both them and their children. Uh, in addition, husbands are are called to be in authority over their wife. Uh, I'm going to leave that one for another day. Uh, but otherwise, some of us have authority over others in the places where we work. But most of the time, we live under authority. Uh, we live under the authority of the federal government. Uh, we live under the authority of the state government. We live under the authority of, uh, depending on where we live, uh, a county government and a city government. Uh, it really is a, a curious thing that authority is such a a negative concept in our day, and yet we are under so much authority, 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 authority all around us. Even more, most, if not all of us, are under the authority or under authority in the workplace. Uh, we must answer to a supervisor. Uh, we must answer to uh, a boss. We must answer to an employer on any number of different levels. And the question is, does our faith in Christ have something, anything, to do with our relationship to those in authority over us? And I'm sure you suspect that the answer is going to be yes. Yes, God's word says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. This is a, this is a profound statement from Paul. Uh, one that we might not want to hear, be, uh, being among those who tend not to like the word or the idea of authority. But here we are as Christians. Here we are as Christians. And out of joy and thankfulness, uh, we, we want to live the Christian life. I hope that's, that's true of you. That, that out of joy and thankfulness, you want to live a Christian life. So we need to hear the word of God and we need to take it to heart in this matter. A first point is the call to be subject. The call to be subject. It's a strong word. Strong language. Be subject. We might first note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say just be respectful to the governing authorities. That's certainly included. In fact, in, in, in the last verse, in verse 7, Paul writes, uh, pay to all what is owed to them, and he includes in that list there, uh, paying respect to whom respect is owed. But the initial call is to be subject. And later in verse 5, Paul writes, therefore, one must be in subjection. So the starting point is to acknowledge the superlatives, uh, the fullness of the call. Let every person, not just some, not just those who are lowly and, and, and miserable anyhow, anyhow <coughs> not just the, the super spiritual ones, let every person, and let every person not just respect and give some ceremonial honor, but let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Even more, Paul does something here that harkens back to the beginning of his letter. He writes in verse 5, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Paul appeals to conscience. And he did this earlier when he wrote in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Paul's argument then, and again now in Romans 13, is that human beings just know this. We just know this. It's, it's not rocket science, as we say. Uh, it's not some esoteric knowledge that only a few people can, can understand. We know. We know that leadership is necessary in this world. And if leadership, then necessarily authority. There will always be those groups who try to say, we're not going to have any leaders among us. There will be no one in authority over the other. But consider that to say that, to try to set that up as, as a structure to the group, 
requires someone to give instruction (laughs) and to exercise authority in order to determine that there will be no authority. It's like that statement, uh, there is no such thing as truth. It's, it, it's a self-contradicting contradicting statement. As soon as you say there is no such thing as truth, you have begged the question. You have assumed the truth of your statement in making the statement. And you have contradicted your statement by stating the truth that there is no such thing as truth. And in the same way, anytime someone claims that no one is going to be in charge around here, we will all be equal, we'll be ready for that person to be the one to take charge and often to take charge in a domineering, perhaps even abusive way. It's what cults are made of. Um, Under the guise of everyone being equal, there is really one person who is taking authority over the group. It's what socialism is made of under the guise of from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. There is a person or a group of people who are prepared to benefit from everyone supposedly being equal. You all be equal, and I will stand at the top of the equality. It, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, and, 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 and I think Paul is getting at that when he, when he brings in human conscience. We, we, we can try to fool ourselves, but there is something in us. There's, there's something in us that uh, just knows that there has to be authority in this world. Uh, there's something in us that knows that God himself stands as the, the highest authority. And if so, if, if God himself stands as the highest authority, then every other authority must be. It must be. It has to be assigned by God. Once again, it's the, it's the logic of the Christian faith. Don't, don't let anyone tell you that the Christian faith is illogical, that, that you have to put your brain on the shelf in order to be a Christian. But then certainly don't put your brain on the shelf as you are a Christian. Think these things through. Pick up on the logic of the teaching of Scripture. And the logic here is that authority in this world is inevitable. It cannot be otherwise that someone, starting with God, but otherwise any number of other fellow human beings, will be ruling over you. And you may be called to exercise authority over others. Well, the questions are these. Will you exercise your authority justly according to God's word? And will you be subject to the governing authorities over you? 
If you will, if, if we will together, then we need to know that there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. The second point is God's appointment of rulers. And here is another place where we need to hear this instruction on the basis of God's grace and mercy to us in Christ. Remember that Paul began this section writing, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So this entire section of Romans, these, these last five chapters, are the call to respond to the grace and mercy of God in thankful obedience. So here, as we are called to be subject to governing authorities, the call is to do so knowing that God himself is the highest authority. This is what we mean by the the sovereignty of God, that God himself is the highest authority. But even more, to know that he is a good God and that he has created a good creation and that he set things He sets things up for us. He orchestrates even all of history and he regulates the entire world in such a way that we can be confident in his care and in his orchestration of all things. And just think about how much we we need to know and remember this. Because what do we know about authority? That authority affords power, and that power corrupts. We know that uh, those in authority over us are sinners, as we are. Uh, We know that power corrupts, that, that when sin gains opportunity, then sin abounds. That's all sin needs, the opportunity for sin to be committed So give a person authority, and you give that person power. And by giving that person power, you give them opportunity for sin. And give that person opportunity for sin, and there will be sin. The Apostle Paul clearly teaches in Romans that what we call the doctrine of total depravity. Sin has infected every aspect of, of, uh, of, of the human being, and, and sin affects every aspect of human life. And yet, and yet, here's the striking teaching of Romans 13, 1 through 7, and yet God is still ruling. God is still on his throne Rulers, kings, prime ministers, presidents, lawmakers, judges, as corrupt as they might be, yet they still serve a good purpose within God's creation. What this doesn't mean, let me clarify if you're wondering, what this doesn't mean is that we should ignore their sin and corruption. And in this country, of course, we have 
great opportunity to confront injustice when we see it. And we have opportunity, opportunity to debate and to discuss and to, to talk about the laws that are being made and perhaps enforced in our land. But think about it. For every, for every woke, corrupt decision that a judge makes, and we hear about an awful lot of them, but for every woke, corrupt decision that a judge makes, that same judge makes many other rulings that serve the good, that promotes righteousness in this world. Here is where we might uh, only focus on the negative. Here is where we, uh, we rightly see and acknowledge and decry the bad decisions of the president and lawmakers and judges but fail to consider, as, as the Apostle Paul is calling us to consider, we fail to consider where things would be, what life would be like if these same rulers were not in their place making decisions day by day and serving a good purpose. That's Paul's point here. He's talking about the, the, the Roman Empire. He's talking about a government in his day that was exceedingly corrupt. And yet he's calling upon the church to see that even amid the corruption, even amid the bad decisions, that rulers serve a good purpose. As Christians, we need to understand that human government is not fate. Human government is not evolution this is this is god at work paul writes for there is no authority and just just listen to this there is no authority except from god you have to either believe that or don't there is no authority except from god and so paul even says rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Well, then do what's good and receive his approval, for he is God's servant. Think of that. He is God's servant for your good. Another place in Scripture to learn the same thing is uh, when Assyria uh, came and captured Israel. And then, when the empire of Babylon came and captured Judah, over and over again in God's Word, we hear not only this history, but the claim that these nations, these powers, even these marauding, destroying, desecrating, ruthless powers were the servants of God carrying out his judgment upon the nation of Israel. Again, you, you have to decide, are, are you going to believe that or not? Because you can imagine that the, the prophets might have said to themselves, uh, well, all of this is happening. Uh, Israel and now Judah are being swallowed up by other nations. 
And, and, and we know that that has happened throughout history, that nations were swallowed up by other nations and, and empires, so that if that happened to Israel and then to Judah, well, maybe the prophets were um, just working it into their narrative. You know, this was God doing this. This was God bringing judgment upon His people. So, believe it or don't, but that God was doing this. God was raising up Assyria to judge Israel. God rose up Babylon to judge Judah. The rise of Assyria, the rise of Babylon to overcome Assyria, the rise of the Medes and Persians to overcome Babylon, the rise of the Greek Empire to overcome the Medes and the Persians, uh, the rise of, of Rome to take over the Greek Empire. And then the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD and the eventual fall of the Roman Empire to bring about the sovereign nations of, of Europe and the exploration of the, of the new world. Uh, the, the Christian worldview calls us to see all of this with all its justice and injustice, to see it all as the work of God, the rule of God over the nations and over the world. This is the worldview that Paul is taking and using in Romans 13. This is the the view of the world and of all history to bring him to say, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Except from God. That's, That's an extreme and powerful prepositional phrase. It's extreme because it makes the claim that God is in control, that God is directing history, that God is determining what is happening, that God is limiting evil, and that God is even using the work of evil in this world for His purpose and glory. We can be reassured We can rest in God's care. Even as the world goes to hell in a handbasket, as we say. When rulers are corrupt, when the world rebels against God, yet, what does Psalm 2 say? The Lord laughs. He sits in the heavens and he laughs. And he merely speaks his word saying, I have set my king on high, my holy hill. And that king is Christ. That king is Christ. And that Christ is the one who has come into this world in our own flesh and the one who has defeated the ruler of this world so to return this world to the rule of man. And we, as those who have bowed the knee to Christ, we are those who benefit from the rule of Christ and who can live each day amid the corruption of this world, under the corrupt rule of corrupt leaders, and yet know and confess 
that God is in control, that God is on his throne. And if you want even more comfort, then just study God's word out. Understand from Scripture what is really happening in this world and what is really happening in your own life. So the third point is God's common grace. This is another Reformed concept that uh, is taught here in God's Word because here we're not so much talking about what we would call redemptive grace, so much as we are talking about God's common grace. We're talking about God's work in the world apart from redemption, and yet for the sake of redemption. Because by way of God's common grace, the world is being preserved. Lives are being upheld and preserved. So that there is time for the gospel to go forth. The common grace of God is his preservation of this world. And he does that in many ways. He does it by sending rain and sunshine, allowing crops to continue to grow, preserving the good creation that he, that he made in the beginning. But he also does it by restraining evil, by restraining sin, by turning back the, the one who would do evil. This is God's common grace, as we say, not unto salvation, except that by way of God's common grace, again, there is time for the gospel to go forth, for hearts to be changed, for, for sinners to be brought uh, to faith in Jesus Christ. It really starts already in the Garden of Eden. When God removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden and submitted them to a life of hard work, this was God's common grace. Their hard work did not save them, but it preserved them. It kept them from sinning to the degree that they might have, and that still is true today. That is, as people have to work hard in this world, and as we deal with corrupt leaders at times, increasingly it would seem in our day. So there is, there is the opportunity for redemption. There is the opportunity for the, the witness that we might give to Christ and, and, and God's Redeeming grace flows forth as God restrains evil and gives time for the advance of the gospel. The rulers of this world are God's servants. Just let that soak in. The rulers of this world are God's servants. Just as Assyria and Babylon were in history. And as God makes that clear through the prophets, Assyria is my servant. Babylon is doing my will. We either believe that or we don't. We either see it as the prophets making wild claims or we accept it to our great comfort that even the most wicked of empires, even the most evil of rulers, 
are yet God's servants. And as much wrong as they might do, there is always a good that they do as well. And the call of God's word in Romans 13 is to be subject, to be subject to them. A couple applications. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. You can work for lower taxes. You can get involved in in the process and and work for uh, lower taxes, but we need to pay our taxes. It's pretty hard to deny from this passage. Um, pull over when the police officer is 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 behind you with his lights on. Pay your fine if you know you're guilty. If if you if you think you're not guilty, go to court. You can you can do that. Seek. Seek justice when needed, but otherwise submit, be subject to the authorities as they come to bear upon you. But take comfort. Take comfort in knowing that God is in control of your life because God is in control of this entire world. Take comfort knowing that Christ is ruling over you, and that his rule, his authority over you is higher than any authority in this world. And take comfort in knowing that the authority of Christ means your salvation. Because he is Lord, because he is King, because he has conquered the ruler of this world by his cross and resurrection, by that victory and by his authority, we have salvation and we have eternal life. Amen. Let's uh, bow in prayer. Father in heaven, these are hard things for us because we don't like authority. Uh, we, we don't want to be under anyone else's authority. Help us to start out by seeing that your authority over us is in Christ, and it is for our salvation. Help us to know that you are ruling and reigning for our great good and for our salvation, and that you are also in control of all things in this world, and that there is no authority in this world except that it is from you. So grant us, O Lord, to be subject, and grant us, O Lord, to be um, uh, winsome, Uh, As we live out our Christian lives, help us to um, give testimony to Christ's own lordship as we uh, submit to authority. And as we may have authority, may we uh, wield it justly. And may we be an example of Christ's great love and compassion in his authority, in our authority over others uh, in our lives. Bless us to this end. Give us wisdom and make us to be your faithful and fruitful people. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.